0: Part five of the Ultimate Weapon by John Campbell junior This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part five. The apparatus of the magnetic shield had been completed two days later and set up in Buck's own laboratory. On the bench was the powerful but small little projector of the straight magnetic field, simply a specially designed accumulator, a supercondenser, and the peculiar apparatus Devon had designed to distort the electric field through ninety degrees to a magnetic field. Behind this was a curious paraboloid projector, made up of hundreds of tiny, carefully oriented coils. This was Buck's own contribution. They were ready for the tests. I would invite McLaren in to see this," said Kendall, looking at them, and then across the room, bitterly, toward the alleged atomic power apparatus on the opposite bench. I think it will work, but after that—he stared, glaring at the heavy tungsten dome with its heavy tungsten contacts, across which the flame of released atomic energy was supposed to have leapt. That was probably the flattest flop any experiment ever flopped. Well, it didn't blow up. That's one comfort, suggested Devon. I wish it had. Then at least it would have shown some response. The only response shown actually was shown on the power meter. It damn near wore out the bearings turning so fast. Personally, I prefer the lack of action, Devon laughed. Have you got that circuit hooked up? Right, sighed Kendall, turning back to the work in hand. Is Douglas in on this? Yes, in the next room. He'll let us know when he's ready. He's setting up those instruments." Douglas, a young junior physicist, late of the IP Physics Department, stuck his head in the door and announced his instruments were all set up. Keep an eye on them. They'll move somehow, at any rate. This thing couldn't go as flat as that atomic buster of mine. Carefully, Kendall made a few last-minute adjustments on the limiting relays, and took up his position at the power board. Devon took his place near the apparatus with another series of instruments, similar to those Douglas was now watching in the next room, some thirty feet away through the two-inch metal wall. "'Ready,' called Kendall. The switch shot home. Instantly Kendall, Devon, and all the men in the building jumped some six feet from their former positions. A monstrous roar of sound crashed out in that laboratory, that thundered from one wall to the other and bellowed in a titan's fury. It thundered and growled, it bellowed and howled; the wall shook with the march and countermarch of crashing waves of sound, and a ten-foot wavering flame of blue-white bellying electric fire shuddered up to the ceiling from the contact points of the alleged atomic generator. The heat pouring out from the flashing, roaring arc, sent prickles of aching burns over Kendall's skin. For ten seconds he stood in utter, paralyzed surprise, as his flop of flops bellowed its anger at his disdain. Then he leapt to the power-board and shut off the roaring thing by cutting the switch that had started it. Spirits of space! Did that come to life? Atomic energy! Devon cried. Atomic energy, hell, that's my thirty thousand dollars' worth of power breaking loose again," chortled Kendall. We missed the atomic energy, but sweet boy, what an accumulator we stubbed our toes on. I wondered where in blazes all that power went to. That's the answer. I'll bet I can tell you right now what happened. We built that mercury up to a new level, and that transitional stage was the red crystalline metal. When it reached the higher stage it was temporarily stable, but that projector over there that we designed for the purpose of holding open electric and magnetic fields just opened the door and let all that power right out again. But why isn't it atomic energy? How do you know that no more than your power that you put in is coming out?" demanded Devon. The arc, man, the arc! That was a high-current and low-voltage arc. Couldn't you tell by the sound that no great voltage, as atomic voltages go, was smashing across there? If we were getting atomic voltage and power, there'd have been a different tone to it, high and shriller. Now, did you take any readings? What do you think, man? I'm human. Do you think I got any readings with that thing bellowing and shrieking in my ears and burning my skin with ultraviolet? It itches now. Kendall laughed. (laughs) You know what to do for an itch. Now I'm going to make a bet. We had those points separated for a half-million-volt discharge. But there was a dust cover thrown over them just now. That, you notice, is missing. I'll bet that served as a starter lead for the main arc. Now I'm going to start that projector thing again, and move the point there through about six inches, and that thing probably won't start itself. Most of the laboratory staff had collected at the doorway, looking in at the white-hot tungsten discharge points and the now silent atomic engine. Kendall turned to them and said, "'The flop picked itself up. You go on back. We seem to be all in one piece yet. Douglas, you didn't get any readings, did you?' Sheepishly Douglas grinned at him. "Uh, uh, "'No, but I tore my pants. The magnetic field grabbed me, and I jumped. They had some steel buttons and a lot of steel keys. They're kind of hard to keep on now." The laboratory staff broke into a roar of laughter as Douglas, holding up his trousers with both hands, was beheld. "'I guess the field worked,' he said. "'I guess maybe it did,' adjudged Kendall solemnly. "'We have some rope here if you need it.' Douglas returned to his post. Swiftly Kendall altered the atomic distortion storage apparatus and returned to the power board. Ready? Check. Kendall shoved home the switch. The storage device was silent. Only a slight feeling of strain made itself felt, and the sudden noisy hum of a small transformer nearby. She works, Buck, Devon called. The readings check almost exactly. All good, then. Now. I want to get to that atomic thing. We can let that slide for a little bit. I'll answer it." The telephone had rung noisily. Kendall Labs. Kendall speaking. This is Superintendent Foster of the New York Power, Mr. Kendall. We have some trouble just now that we think your operations may be responsible for. The substation at North Beaumont blew all the fuses and threw the breakers at the main station. The men out there said the Transformers began howling. Right, you are. I'm afraid I did do that. I had no idea they would reach so far. How far is that from my place here?" It's about a thousand yards, according to the survey maps. Thanks, and I'll be careful about it. Any damage I am responsible for. All okay?" Yes, sir, Mr. Kendall." Kendall hung up. We start up a lot more dust than we expected, Devon. Now let's start seeing if we can keep track of it, Douglas. How did your readings show? I took them at ten stations, and here they are. The stations are two feet apart. Hmm. Point five, point five five, point six, point seven, twenty one ninety eight fifty nine fifty sixty ten sixty twelve fifty nine twenty very very nice only the darn thing's got an arm as long as the law your readings were about point two devon that's right then these little readings are just leakage what's our normal intensity here about point one nine just a very small fraction less than the readings perfect we have what amounts to a hollow shell of magnetic force we can move inside and you can move outside far enough but you can't get a conductor or a magnetic field through it." He put the readings on the bench, and looked at the apparatus across the room. Now I want to start right on that other. Douglas, you move that magnetostat apparatus out of the way, and leave just the can opener of ours, the projector. I'm pretty sure that's what does the deed. Devon, see if you can hunt up some electrostatic voltmeters with a range in the neighborhood of, uh, I think it'll be about eighty thousand. Rapidly Douglas was dismounting the apparatus as Devon started for the stockroom. Kendall started making some new connections, reconnecting the apparatus they had intended using on the atomic engine, largely high-capacity resistances. He seemed to perform this work mechanically, his mind definitely on something else. Suddenly he stopped and looked carefully into the receiver of the machine. The metal in it was silvery, liquid, and here and there a floating crystal of the dull red metal. Slowly a smile spread across his face. He turned to Douglas. "'Douglas, ah, you're through. Get on the trail of McBride and get him and his crew to work making half a dozen smaller things like this. Tell them they can leave off the tungsten shield. I want different metals in the receiver of each. Use, um, sodium, copper, Magnesium, Aluminum, Iron, and Chromium. Got it?" Yes, sir. He left, just as Devon returned with a large electrostatic voltmeter. I'd like, said he, to know how you know the voltage will range around eighty thousand. K-ring excitation potential for mercury. I'm willing to bet that thing simply shoved the whole electron system of the mercury out a notch. That it simply hasn't any K-Ring of electrons now? I'm trying some other metals. Douglas is going to have McBride make up half a dozen more machines. Machines, they need a name. This, uh, this is an—a toster. McBride's going to make up half a dozen of them, and try a half dozen metals. I'm almost certain that's not mercury in there now at all. It's probably element 99, or something like it. It looks like mercury. Certainly, so would ninety-nine. Following the periodic table, ninety-nine would probably have an even lower melting point than mercury, be silvery, dense and heavy, and perhaps slightly radioactive. The series under the B family of group two is magnesium, zinc, cadmium, mercury, and ninety-nine. The melting point is going down all the way, and they're all silvery metals. I'm going to try copper, and I fully expect it to turn silvery. In fact, to become silver. Then let's see. Swiftly, they hooked up the apparatus, realigned the projector, and again Kendall took his place at the power board. As he closed the switch, on no load, the electrostatic voltmeter flipped over instantly and steadied at just over 80,000 volts. <laughs> I hate to say I told you so, said Kendall, but let's hook in a load. Try it on about one hundred amps first. Devon began cutting in load. The resistors began heating up swiftly as more and more current flowed through them. But not so much as by a vibration of the voltmeter needle did the apparatus betray any strain as the load mounted swiftly—one hundred, two hundred, five hundred, one thousand amperes. Still that needle held steady finally with the drain of ten thousand amperes all the equipment available could handle, the needle was steady as a rock, though the tremendous load of eight hundred million watts was cut in and out. That, to atoms, atoms by the nonillions, was no appreciable load at all. There was no internal resistance whatever. The perfect accumulator had certainly been discovered. I have to call McLaurin. Kendall hurried away with a broad, broad smile. End of part five.